Hi, good morning, Bokaritov. This morning we'll review Parashat Va'era. Parashat Va'era is a lot of fun. It's really the beginning of the, the story of the Ten Makot and all of the, the, the stories and everything that we say during the Haggadah. It's a very beautiful, beautiful parasha, as is every parasha. So the parasha begins with uh, interesting, a very important line that's worth clarifying, that when Hashem talks to Moshe, he says that I'm appearing to you as uh, Adonai, or Yud, He, and Vav, He. There's a name of Hashem that's Yud, what we call Yud, Ke, Vav, Ke, the four-letter name of Hashem, that he says, that's what I'm appearing to you. But you should know that I didn't, in practice, show this name to Abraham, Isaac, and Yaakov. To them, I, in practice, showed them the name of El Shaddai. So what does this mean? So one thing that has to be made clear is that there's only one God. And everything of Hashem is all the same, except as humans, we perceive different attributes of Hashem. Sometimes we see Hashem doing one thing, and we perceive Him one way. Another time we see Him doing something else, we see we perceive Him another way. So those perceptions, of, as humans, it's almost like let's compartmentalize different attributes of Hashem into different names. So there's two opinions. One opinion says that the name El Shaddai is the name of promise. This is what Rashi explains. That it's a God um, God that promised to give. Promised to give to future generations the land of Israel. He promised Abraham, Yitzhak, and Yaakov that their children, that they will have a lot of children, that will be a large nation, and they will inherit the land of Israel. What Hashem is telling Moshe is that I was only working with them as a God of promise because they didn't see it happen. But with you, I'm going to be the God of yud and vav I'm going to be the God of action. That's the way Rashi explains. The two names, one resembles or one uh, symbolizes God in promising something for the future, and the other one is the God of promise. So what he's telling Moshe is, Moshe, don't get dis- discouraged. Right now, you're going to see what's going to happen. Right now, I'm going to work with you in ways that no one has ever seen in the past. That's the first answer. The other answer is the Ramban that explains that El Shaddai is the name of God for when he does hidden miracles in a natural way, natural course of life. And so Abraham, Yitzchak, and Yaakov, they experienced miracles. They had famines, they were protected, their wives were protected, they were safe, they became wealthy, they fought wars, they were successful in wars, but nothing extraordinary out of nature. Whereas now, with the Makot and Kriyat Suf, Moshe will be experiencing things that are above nature, open miracles. And that is the name of Adonai. So these are the two opinions of when Hashem says, up until now, I've only shown myself as El Shaddai, but now you're going to see a new God, meaning you're going to see, according to Rashi, it means uh, not just I used to, to the forefathers, they've seen me as the God of promise, um, and now you're going to see me as the God of action, or they saw me as the God of hidden miracles, and now you're going to see me as the God of open miracles. One of the important things here is that at the end of last week's parasha, or parasha Shemot rather, when Moshe tells uh, Paro, let my people go, you know, if you ask uh, any uh, school child, and then go see Yeshiva, and you ask him, when Moshe told Paro, let my people go, what did Paro say? He says, no. But really, if you look at the Torah, the Torah, there's something very important in between there. When Moshe says, um, Adonai, Elavea, Ibrim, the God, the, the, the Hashem, the, the God of uh, the Jews, wants his people to come out, Paro says, I don't know who this God is. I've never heard of him. Who is this Adonai? And I'm not going to send him. Meaning, 
Paro didn't just say no. Paro said, I don't know. Here, I'll read it to you. I remember Paro, who is this Adonai that I should listen to him? I don't know God. I don't know Adonai. Paro said, I don't know God. So now, when it comes to this week's parasha, Hashem says, oh, how rude of me. I didn't introduce myself. Okay, you don't know who I am. I'll make sure you know who I am. And that's what this parasha and all of these plagues that we have, except for the last one, is not to kill them. It's not for the Egyptians to die, but it's so that so that Egypt and Paro know exactly who is God, because he said, I don't know. So we'll make sure you know. So, okay, now, what were the plagues? This is when the Makot began. There's so much to discuss about all of them, but the seven plagues that we went through in the parasha was Dam, was blood, the Nile River turned into blood, and really all forms of drinking water turned into blood. I'll, maybe I'll go through the list and then I'll just give some tidbits on each and every one. Uh, that was the one where the bodies of water, they would use to drink natural bodies of water turned into blood. The next one was Tsefardea. Tsefardea is classically translated as frogs. I believe there are some that translated as something that's more um, uh, more of like a predator, let's say like an alligator or a crocodile, maybe like a crocodile that emerged out of the Nile. So some say, but but regardless, it was a terrible nuisance, even if they were a small frog and they weren't threatening people's lives, but they were still just the the fricketing and the croaking of the, the uh, frogs for days on end was was uh, killing them. So this was the second one was the frogs. Then Kinim, there was lice everywhere. It was unbearable. They, there was no, you know, someone goes goes out on a summer night and gets a few mosquito bites, they can't cut, they ain't just like itching themselves. Imagine a full week worth of, of the this itchiness. The fourth is there's wild animals that were roaming, wild beasts that were roaming the area. The fifth is dever, some sort of a plague of pestilence that was causing the animals to die. It was, let's say, some sort of a pandemic, but an animal pandemic. Number six is uh, boils. They had these very thick boils on their body that was un- they were unable to walk. Let's say, imagine if it's the bottom of their foot, they couldn't walk so on their backside. They wouldn't be able to sit. They wouldn't be able to lie down. They wouldn't be able to function. So that's uh, uh, number six. And number seven is barad. Barad is hail. barad. That was hail, and the chachamim embellish and explain how this hail that fell. Uh, had both fire and ice in it. It was something that was unnatural, but nice, big, thick things that were falling. So to speak about each one very briefly, there's so much to speak about the parasha. Let me just speak about each of these briefly, and then I want to speak about uh, uh, the concept of Ani Akshay de Paro. So um, about the blood, there's different opinions as to uh, what, how this how this went through. So the, the, the Nile River turned into blood. And then as soon as the Nile River turned into blood, the Torah says... And the Egyptian magicians or the Egyptian uh, advisors also did it. How did they do it also if all of the water turned to blood? The Torah actually says that what turned into blood was all of the bodies of, of water. And I'll read it to you. It says all of the bodies of water turned into blood. Here. No, no. First it was the snakes. That one I'm not, I'm not talking about. Here it says, There was blood everywhere on the rivers on the swamps, on their canals, on the reservoirs, all the gatherings of water, in, even in wooden and stone vessels. So if you had water bottles, you had your Poland Spring uh, water dispenser, that also turned into blood. But in the next line, it says that, oh, it says, the fish that was in the water died, 
making the water foul because all of the fish died and when the fish died it became it made very disgusting the water became very disgusting and, and they couldn't drink the water there was blood everywhere and then it says the the magicians did it also they also converted water into blood and then at the very end it tells us that and they were digging. So the Egyptians were digging around the Nile River to drink water. Because they couldn't drink from the water of the Nile. So a few questions here. How is it possible that the Egyptians did the magic and converted water to blood if Moshe had already done that? Right? Because like they were proving that ah, you're doing a sleight of hand, we could also do that. What water did they have to convert? So it could be, the Torah is telling us, that the Egyptians had to dig. They had to dig around the Nile River. So all of the exposed water turned into blood. But water that was on the ground, that was not. So they dug, they took that water. After they took that water, they converted it to blood. How? They dropped some like a powder, Kool-Aid powder or something. They said, oh, we could also make this blood. And so and then they would drink whatever was from under. It's very interesting, uh, an opinion that I read yesterday, the opinion of the Chizkuni, that says, actually, what happened was everything turned into blood. And that killed all the fish, and all of the fish made the all of the dead fish made the water foul, and then all of the blood turned back to water. So it wasn't like there was a sea of red for the next week. According to the Chizkuni, right away it went turned all red, and then went back. the The red removed was removed, but in the meantime, all of the fish were dead, so they couldn't drink the water because it was disgusting from all of the dead fish. But they were able to scoop up a thing of water and say, hey, I could do this also. So it's a very interesting uh, difference. There's a difference of opinion. I'm sharing two opinions here. One says that the blood was there for the entire week. The other one says that, no, the blood was there just maybe for a matter of minutes or maybe hours. But then immediately afterwards, it turned back. It's just that they were unable to drink from the water, not because it was blood, but because it became foul from all of the dead, dead uh, sea creatures. There's those two answers that I wanted to share. The next is the frogs. The very important thing about the frogs here is that it went everywhere. The Torah tells us it was, it's in your homes, it's in, it's in your ovens, it's in your beds, it's, it's in your rooms, it's in you. It's like they're all over the place, these frogs. So much so that it became so difficult that Paro actually asked Moshe to have them removed. He said, okay, get rid of this stuff. Nice, nice, okay, I'm impressed, now go, get rid of it. So Moshe asks him, when do you want me to get rid of it? And he says, tomorrow. He says, okay, fine. So they'll stick around for 24 hours. You could you could hug it out with all of your favorite frogs, and then tomorrow they'll leave. All of the commentators say this is very odd behavior. Paro comes to Moshe and says, I want you to remove the frogs. So Moshe says, when? What do you mean when? When now? But Moshe says, when? So what does Paro say? Tomorrow. Why tomorrow? Why not now? What are you talking about? It's the worst decision in the world. Why are you saying have the frogs removed tomorrow? It doesn't make any sense. So, and then Moshe says, fine, tomorrow. So they'll stay for 24 more hours. Tomorrow they'll go. It doesn't make any sense. So this is where the commentators explain how really Paro was bringing himself to ask, to admit to Moshe that he knew he was wrong. And he went to Moshe and he said, please get rid of this. And Moshe says, when do you want them to go? Paro says, what do you mean, when do you want them to go? You know that I want them to go now. What is this? Why are you asking me? So Paro, in, in his moment of, he's coming, in moment of despair coming, and he's asking Moshe to do something, he doesn't want to give Moshe the full credit. And he says, why is Moshe asking me? He knows that I'm going to say now. 
He knows that I'm going to say no, so you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to mess him up. He probably knows that they're going to leave now anyway, that they're about to expire. So he asked me when, so I could say now, but I'm going to throw a curveball at him, and I'm going to say tomorrow, and let's see what he could do. And Moshe says, fine, no problem, tomorrow. It's like someone who's doing a magic trick, right? Someone takes a deck of cards and says, you could pick any card that you want, and you know you know that this magician is not really giving you any card that you want. So you start thinking of things that shouldn't be, like, or someone says, pick any card in your in your mind, so that whatever card you want to think, you change it and say something else. He asks him, what time do you want the frogs to leave? He says, uh, tomorrow. And Moshe says, okay, fine, no problem. This isn't a magic trick. I'm not doing a magic trick. This is Rebunosh running the world. It comes to show that Paro, in his pride, as he's asking Moshe to get the frogs away, he doesn't, he doesn't want to give it in to Moshe. Okay, then you have the next one is with the lice. The next one with the wild animals is very important because the Torah there with the wild animals says, Hashem says that I'm going to show it to you very clearly. Yeah. You're going to see something unbelievable, that the wild beasts are roaming the land of Egypt everywhere except for Goshen, which is where the Jews live. Unbelievable. You'll know that when they, you know, there's a sign that says, welcome to Goshen, right? This is the village border of Goshen, or the city border. The, the tiger is going to come to this, and he's like, oh, no, I'm not supposed to go there. He's going to turn around. So they're going to know very clearly that, okay, this is not just like wild animals that randomly came here for, they, they need food because there's no food. You know, you could come up with all of these theories how um, these animals were eating were eating certain things and they didn't work, so they had to come and they found different places to eat. You know, they weren't going into the city of Goshen, and Hashem said it's going to be very clear. Then you had pestilence. Pestilence is some sort of a plague uh, called Dever, that all of the animals, the livestock would die, and there was nothing they could do. They couldn't even see it. They couldn't. They didn't even know how it was happening. All these other animals were dropping dead. Then you had uh, the, bo- the boils, um, and as we spoke about briefly, and we had the hail, and all of these things, until the very end of the parasha, it's a very important line. I want to read to you that section. So Paro calls to Moshe and Aaron. He said, I admit, I've done, I'm wrong. I'm in the wrong. I have sinned. Adonai is correct. Me and my people are wrong. We're the wicked ones. We are the, the ones in the wrong here. Why is this so important? Because of the end of last week's parasha. When Moshe says, Adonai wants you to let his children go, Paro says, Mi Adonai, who is this God? Asher I don't know that yet, Adonai. I don't know him. Now at the end of this parasha, he says, Adonai Yatzadik. Not only do I know who he is, he's right. I'm wrong. And he's yeah. brought to his knees, quote-unquote, where he's telling Moshe that, I agree that I've done something wrong, go, and I want you to go out free. And that's how the, the parasha ends, that really he lets him go. But the problem is, is like he's like an addict. He knows at this moment that he that he should let them go, and he lets them go, and he just starts discussing to let them go. But in the next week's parasha, he ends up saying, no, you can't go, so we have another plague. Then he, there's a plague of darkness, a plague of Makat of Makat uh, Three more in next week's, next week's parasha, and then after that they end up going. So that that'll be in the upcoming parasha. Next week is parasha Bo, and then parasha Bishalach is the week when the sea splits. There's one thing I want to say that a few times the Torah tells us that Moshe's heart, uh, Hashem hardened Paro's heart, and there's a lot of discussion about this uh, because this gets into the question of freedom of will. I just want to explain two things very briefly, and then with that we'll stop. 
how is it possible that after, so I believe it's for the first five plagues, Moshe Paro said, I'm not letting him go, I'm not letting him go, I'm not letting him go. And starting from plague number six, I believe, Paro, the Torah tells us that Paro's heart was hardened by God. Hashem intervened and hardened his heart and didn't let Paro say yes, you can go. He didn't, he didn't let. How is that fair? Taking away his freedom of will. So one classical answer is, because Paro had the chance, for many years he enslaved the Jewish people, and he did something wrong. He had the chance to let us go, and he didn't. And then Moshe came and said, let them go, and he said no. Then he brought the plague of blood, and he said, let them go, he said no. Then for us, he, let them, he said, let them go, and he said no. So for many times, he had an opportunity. Once it came to a point where it was clear that he was locked in in this decision, so Hashem said, okay, that's it, game over. I'm taking over the controls. I'm not going to let you say yes, because Egypt has to be, is going to have to pay the price. So, oh, Hashem took away freedom of will of Paro after him trying 10 times to give him a choice. And he said, no, yeah, Hashem took away his freedom as well. And he made sure that he says no until the end, so that this way Hashem can annihilate and obliterate all of Egypt. That's one explanation. A second explanation is that when it says that Hashem hardened his heart, this is the answer of the Sforno, it doesn't mean that he took away his freedom of will. It's the opposite. Hardening his heart means that he helped give him his backbone, helped make him courageous, helped him to continue to decide whatever he wants to do, and don't be scared. Paro was given the courage to do whatever he wanted to do. So when the Torah tells us that Hashem hardened his heart or strengthened his heart, that means that Hashem gave him the courage to do whatever he wants without fear. And he was the one who decided not to let them go. So it is not the case that Hashem took away his freedom of will. The opposite is Hashem enabled him to continue deciding without the fear of the wild animals, without the fear of the boils, without the fear of the frogs. Decide whatever you want. That's what it means that Hashem strengthened his heart. Okay, with that, we'll stop. Uh, I, unfortunately, I, no, I, have to, I have to run out, so I won't be able to have the, the question and answer. If anyone, that, that segment, if anyone does have any questions, feel free to, to text me. I'll, I'll Hopefully, I'll try to get back to you. Tonight is Bezrat Hashem Rosh Chodesh Shvat. Everyone hopefully have a Shabuato Chodesh Tov. We'll see you next week in good health. Take care, everyone.